I'm deviating from our normal Bible study in the book of Romans, and I'm going to talk to you today about Palm Sunday, next week about Easter Sunday, and I've got some things I want to share with you, pass along to you, but uh, Easter, there's no question at all when Easter is to take place, is to be in this time of the year, spring of the year, because it follows the Passover, it is the time of the Passover of the Jewish holiday, and we know that was to be in the spring that this time at the end of March, 1st of April, right on in there. Our calendar system is not exactly as theirs was back there, so it's hard to know exactly what it, when it was, what day, but it's in that time of the year within a few weeks. And uh, it is a very important time. The, the Christmas, Unlike Christmas, uh, we don't know when the birth of Christ was. And uh, we don't know if it was maybe Jesus was crucified in April. It says he was about three and a, three. He, he ministered about three and a half years, and he began ministering at the age of thirty. So he was thirty-three and a half years old. So he had to have been born somewhere, maybe in the fall, somewhere in that period of time. And so somebody said, "Well, if Easter, December twenty-fifth is not Christ's birthday, why do we celebrate it? Because he was born. He was born, right? So we celebrate the birth of Christ at that time of the year, even not knowing exactly when it was. But Easter." We know when it was, and uh, in, uh, I've made a couple of trips to South Africa. I preached in Swaziland and, and in the South African area, in the Johannesburg, and Brother Porter would pick me up and take me to, into Swaziland, and I'd preach their conference there. And uh, I came to realize and find out, found out from being over there that Easter is their most important holiday. It's not Christmas like it is in America and in Europe. But over there, Easter is their big holiday. And uh, it starts around Thursday. And everybody starts getting off to work, heading home or heading to their place that they're going to spend their Easter at. And uh, I remember him picking me up in Johannesburg that first time and taking me over to Swaziland uh, to, to Baban. To Baban. And, uh, and then Bombain, I think it's pronounced. And uh, taking me over to that city. And uh, we drove for about three or four hours to go there. And all of these people on the highways walking, holding up their passports, waving it. And by that, you knew by the color of it where they were going. And anybody going that way, give us a ride. And people were giving the ride. Anybody travel along, they just stop and pick up. They saw the right colored passport. They said, yeah, get in. And these buses and these trucks and these vehicles that were on the road, they were packed. They were loaded up. Everybody going home for Christmas. Beautiful times to see. When we got to Rebane, those people from Swazi had come home, and they had come to that church, and they worshipped for four days. They had a glory. We had a glorious time. Easter, all around Easter. Well, praise God, we're having a little bit of that same thing here. We're having dramas, and we're having uh, the presence of the Lord in these activities and these services and everything. And so I'm just excited about the Easter time of the year here. I'm going to teach today on uh, the uh, Palm Sunday factor. And uh, this is the title of my message. Palm Sunday, a temporary glory, but Easter's coming. And I don't want you to forget what I'm going to talk to you about here today. You may not need it now, but somewhere down the road you may say, I remember what Brother Myers said. And when he gave that message on Palm Sunday, but Easter's coming. Because Palm Sunday 
had a glory to it that was short-lived. And I want to talk to you why it was short-lived, even though it had been promised and prophesied of the Lord. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, with me. And all four Gospels records the event that I'm going to read to you. Uh, John records only the triumphant entry. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke speaks about Jesus sending the disciples into the village to get uh, the donkey that he would ride upon. But I'm looking here at Matthew 21 and verse 1. And if you'll allow me to read down through verse 11, I want this is the entire story as Matthew records it here. And of course, Mark and Luke records it, and then Matthew and then John records the, the latter part of it. Then he says here in 21 1, and when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, this, that is, they drew near to it, and they were coming from Jericho. That means they were, uh, they were going up to, the, uh, up to Jerusalem, and they came to the outskirts of it on the east side of Jerusalem, uh, on the, called the Mount of Olives in that area, and there were two villages that were there. Bethany was one of them, and the other was the one that's mentioned here, uh, Bethphage. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, unto Mount, the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, which, is Beth, uh, which was Bethphage. And he said, Against you, and straightway you shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say unto thee, unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And this is, is, is exactly what happened. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell you the daughter of Zion, behold, the king, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon a donkey, and a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so verse 6 goes on to say, And the disciples went, did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon, and verse 8 says, And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees. In the book of John, John says they cut down palm, palm branches. That's where the name palm. Matthew, Mark, and Luke doesn't say palm trees or palm branches. John says they cut down palm branches. And I guess in that part of the country, that's mostly what you would have is palm branches. So it's obvious that that was what mostly was spread out before them. They cut down branches from the trees and strove them in the way. And the multitudes, notice the plurality of the word multitude here is, is multitudes. The multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And what a great triumphant entry into Jerusalem Jesus had. And five days later, he was crucified. Five days later. What went wrong? What happened? I mean, how could this happen? And did Jesus know about all of this? And... Was this supposed to be this way? Was this triumphant entry supposed to happen? We know it was because it's mentioned here in the scriptures. 
I'm going to read over in, 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 in Zechariah chapter 9, 9. It's 9, 9, chapter 9, verse 9. And this is where that prophecy was. It, it was prophesied 500 years before Christ came. And it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. And apparently what happened was that when they got the, uh, the donkey, the colt just came with it and they put their clothes and everything right over just both of them and Jesus sat on the donkey and the colt and all of it together and he rode in that fashion. And the Bible talks about the colt no man had ever set upon yet that colt was obedient to Jesus for him to be on him in that fashion. And I tell you all of that so that you understand this was prophecy. It was a little unusual. The Lord pronounced it would happen. Yet when it happened, it was so short-lived. So the thing that I want to bring out to you here is that sometimes we experience things that it seems to be the glory of God, but sometimes they're short-lived. And we, under, we, we say, I wonder why was it short-lived? And uh, these things just seem to come around and the Bible even talks about them shouting Hosanna and the, the word Hosanna uh, is, it comes from a Hebrew word. It's a Greek word. It comes from a Hebrew word, Hasha, Hashanah. And Hashanah is Hosanna. Hashanah is the, is, the, is the Hebrew for Hosanna, which is Greek. It's in the Hebrew, Hashanah. And they were crying Hashanah. And when you examine the word Hashanah, uh, Hashanah, and I'll read the, the explanation of it over here. It says this is found over in Psalms 118.25, and this is a prophecy of them shouting these words to him. It says, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And that's what they were saying when Jesus rode on that donkey into Jerusalem. He, he descended from the Mount of Olives, went down the slope, and as he went, the crowds grew and they cheered him and they praised him and they glorified him and they worshiped him. And they were so happy that their king had come, all of that being prophesied. And the Bible goes on to say here, this 25th, 26th verse, that the word saved now here, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I'm giving you an interpretation of it. Uh, the word uh, Hashana or Hosanna is saved now. And they were saying, our Savior has come. Our Savior is here. And the multitude said it. And the multitudes declared it. And it says multitudes. That means huge crowds of people. And they were before him and they were behind him. And they were praising and exalting and glorifying him and giving Jesus all kinds of praise. And yet, yet, five days later, when he had his trial, was crucified, Nobody was in sight. Nobody was found. Nobody was there to speak up for him. Everything went south. And Jesus was left alone. He even told, he even prophesied these things would happen and these things would be. So Jesus knew that this Palm Sunday glory was going to be short-lived. He knew that. I want to give you some words that he said to the disciples. And this is recorded in uh, three, about three of the of the uh, psalms themselves, but uh, let's, if I can read it here, let me just get the right one here. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, okay, here we go. Let me get to the right one here. Okay. This is in, uh, this is in Luke uh, 18, Luke 18, 31. And it says, then took he unto him the 12. This is before he rode into Jerusalem. Just before he rode into Jerusalem. He had gone to this, uh, this Vegas, Bethsaida. Then he took them, uh, his 12, unto him. In verse 31, behold, he says, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning me, the Son of Man, shall be accomplished. It's going to be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit it on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And verse 34, look at this very closely. And they understood none of these things. They didn't understand it. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. So when they saw the Lord being glorified and going in it, to them, this was the glory of God. This is, they're finally acknowledging who Jesus is. They're going to make him king. They're going to raise him up. They're going to make him king. But it never happened. It was like the glory of God fumbled. It was like what happened and what was supposed to happen and what should have happened it, 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 it went, it went, it, it fouled up. What happened? And what Jesus knew, he knew it would happen because the greater glory was yet to come. And I'm going to talk to all of us here today about that. Because whenever we come to the Lord, listen to me very closely on this. When we come to the Lord and we're saved, what a wonderful experience that is. And if you didn't have a wonderful experience, you're entitled to that. But to have the Lord come into your heart and the presence of Jesus into your life and to feel the forgiveness of sins and to feel your sins all washed away, being baptized and being uh, forgiven of your sins and being filled with his spirit and the joy and the happiness that comes with that, man, that is a glory. And we leap and we jump and we shout and we praise the Lord. That's why you see some people dancing in the spirit around here. That's why you see some people running the aisles. That's a joy. We're full of glory. But it's not always like that. When I first got saved, man, I loved the Lord. I loved church. I mean, that was so alien to me. I didn't care anything about going to church. It was like, okay, I'll go there and I'll endure it because I know that's what I should do. You know, church, Sunday school even. You know, I wasn't a big fan of it. But when I got filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I was the first guy outside the church door waiting for somebody to come unlock the door, open it up so I could come inside. I was standing out there, standing on one foot, then the other, then I just couldn't hardly wait to go to church. I loved worshiping. I loved praising the Lord. I loved glorifying God. And all of us, when we first got saved, that's the way we felt. That wonderful relationship with Jesus, but it was short-lived sometimes. And it, when I say short-lived, because down the road, things would happen and difficulties would come and problems would face us and would say, my Lord, I mean, you know, or, or something would come into our life where they, oh my God, 
Uh, I didn't know that this went along with living for God. And next thing you know, we found ourselves, you know, all being attacked by Satan, being attacked by the enemy. And when you start living for God, there's a glory and a praise and a worship that's coming that goes with it. But sometimes it's only for a season until something comes out of the woodworks. You say, Brother Myers, why are you talking so negative? Because it happens to all of us. You know why? Because we're still in the flesh. We're still in this old body. And Jesus knew that as long as he was in this body, he was going to be attacked by the enemy. And he also knew that God did not want any praise. He doesn't want God to receive praise. He did, I mean, well, let me rephrase that. He also knew that, that, that God, that people would not praise God and he didn't want them to praise God. Satan does not want us to praise the Lord. He does not want you to worship Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. So you go to church and you worship God and you glorify God, amen, and you go back out in the world there and maybe along the way something happens, you know, things go wrong. You walk into the office one day and somebody hands you the pink slip and says you're fired or you're laid off. You're going, you say, why am I laid off? I, I just got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I got the Holy Ghost, what, a month ago? And here I'm getting laid off now. Everything's going bad, you know. Or, or uh, I don't know, maybe they possess, repossess your car or, or the car breaks down or whatever it does. You know, you have an accident and fender fender and all that stuff. Things just start happening. And you think, I thought when you live for God, you don't have these things. Oh, yeah, because you're still in the flesh. And Jesus knew even though he was to have a triumphant entry and everything they said would be right and all the glory he would receive would be right and proper. He knew, praise the Lord, that it was going to be short-lived. But Easter's coming. Easter's coming. And don't ever forget it. Praise the Lord. Whatever you ever go through, Easter's coming. I'm going to talk to you about Easter in a few moments. Not, not the whole story, but just what it, what it represents in this case. But I'm just telling you here, Satan will attack us because he does want us to praise God. You go out in that world, you come back in, you know, you come back to the house of God. And it's time to praise the Lord. It's time to worship the Lord. But Satan doesn't want us to praise him. Let me show you what happened here in one of these cases. This is uh, where, this is in the book of Luke as well, chapter 19, verse 39. When Jesus was entering into Jerusalem and all the multitudes were praising him and glorifying him and worshiping him. And I'm going to read the 38th verse saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Man, they were really praising Jesus. Look at verse 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitudes began to praise him as well, right? Wrong. Some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out because Jesus knew it was prophesied when he would ride into Jerusalem that was going to be praised. And what's been spoken and what's been prophesied, it will happen, praise the Lord. And whenever you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're going to be blessed. When you receive the power of the Holy Ghost, you're going to have power to walk with God and serve the Lord. And you're going to have something that comes from heaven into your soul. The Bible says we sit together in heavenly places. We come to church and we sit together in heavenly places. But that doesn't mean we don't go outside the door and there's Pharisees out there, if I can say it that way. 
of there's those who would discourage you from all the things that you would do in the name of the Lord. Why? Because we are still in the flesh. We're still in the flesh. And we're subject to the attacks of the enemy and will be until Jesus comes or we go to meet him, whichever comes first. Amen. Now, let me just say something to you here. Satan does not want you to worship God. So when you come to church, worship him. Now, I'm just telling you the truth, folks. Worship him. You may have a strong voice. You may be a young and strong and vibrant. If you do, praise him in all your heart and all your voice. You may be older and feeble, but just praise him anyhow, any way you can. Whatever your ability is, worship Jesus and praise Jesus because Jesus is God Almighty who has come as our Savior, incarnated in flesh and then glorified later, and he is our mighty God. Worship Jesus with all your heart. He is the image of God. He is the object of our worship. That's why the Lord in the Old Testament did not want them worshiping all kinds of idols and objects and animals and birds and beasts and creatures and people because he had the object of the worship and it would be Jesus Christ when he would come. So when Jesus came, him being the Messiah, he was the object of God's worship for us. So when you come to church, worship God, worship Jesus Christ, worship him and praise him. Because sometimes the enemy will say, what are you, what are you going to worship God about? You've had a bad week. You've had a bad day. You've had a bad time. Everything's going wrong in your life. Everything you say, I'm going to worship him anyhow. Because Satan doesn't want you to worship. That's the truth. He'll try to keep you from... He'll try to keep you from going to church because that's where we worship God. We sit together in heavenly places in the house of God. You come to the house of God, praise the Lord, and you may feel like a gnat's heel. You may just feel like you just barely got there. You know, go into all the world, set the world on fire, and you come in with just your taillights barely burning. That's the way you feel sometimes when you, you know, just, I'm just going to sit down in the back of the church. I'm just here. That's all. But you can begin to feel the presence and the Spirit of God. We need to be in the house of God. And the first thing that Satan will do is try to convince you you don't need to be in the house of God because if he can keep you out of the house of God, he can keep you away, away from praise and worship. Did you know that? He can keep you out of the house of God. I go to the mall and walk around sometimes. I never see people down there praising God. I don't see people down at the mall praising God. I go in Walmart. I don't see people walking around worshiping God. Has anybody seen people around worshiping God? There may be some saints that may talk to each other, and one of them will say, praise the Lord. You know, they may, that event may take place, but it doesn't happen. I may go into Sam's or BJ's, one of these stores, or Publix, or any of them. I don't see people worshiping the Lord because that's not the house of worship. But the church is. And you don't want to be left out of it or kept away from it because of being kept away from it, we are kept away from the praise and worship unto Jesus Christ that God wants from us. And that's what the enemy would like to do. Excuse me. <coughs> so he wants to keep us from praising and worshiping God. Uh, he, uh, he wants us to do other things in church too. You know, When you go to church, it's a good time to balance your checkbook. Get on the cell phone, communicate with people, you know, code messages and text messages and do all this kind of stuff. Don't go to the house of God and be mad at somebody. The devil gets you mad at somebody. You come and drive into church, somebody cuts in front of you. Yeah. 
mad at you go to church. Mm, you're still mad. Everybody starts singing, you're still mad at God, you know. God to cut you off. If that ever happens to you, say, Jesus, I love you, I praise you, and I'm not going to let anything stand in the way of me and my worship. And I'm telling you how important it is for us to worship the Lord and that multitude, work, but we're still in the flesh. We're still in the flesh. And as long as we're in this flesh, there is going to be those attacks that will come to at, at us from the enemy. And Satan will try his best to try to dislodge us and cause us to, to uh, miss out on God and so forth. But what the Lord knew, the Lord knew, was even though this glory at Palm Sunday was short-lived because he was in the flesh, Easter was coming. The greater was coming. Praise the Lord. God was going to do something much greater in the future. And can I just tell you here today that if we'll keep praising God and just keep worshiping God and keep walking on with the Lord. I, I, I was saved when I was 16 years old and I'm 82 years old now. So along the way here and, you know, and living for God for this long, I can tell you God will bring you through all of your trials and all of your tests and all of your difficulties and all of the ups and downs and we will have our share of them. And sometimes you'll feel like, oh, praise God, God is so good. So, and, and, and a week later we'll say, man, what happened? Man, everything went south. Everything, everything went bottom up. Well, I mean, you know, and that's the way you feel sometimes. Here's that triumphant entry. Everybody's saying, great is the Lord and they're praising him and, and he's our savior and he's our king and they're ready to anoint him to be king. And five days later, he was on trial for his life and was tried and found, and found guilty when he should not have been found guilty. He was not really found guilty. Pilate just said, I find no, I find no fault in him. Take him and crucify him. What, a, what, a, what an execute, what a sentence was that? It's in the scriptures. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Take him and crucify him. Who has ever been tried and the judge said, I don't find no fault in him. Take him and crucify him or take him and execute him. You know, but they found that with Jesus. This was the kind of trial he had. There was no fault in him. False witnesses tried to say this or that. Said he said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. You know, and he was talking about himself, this temple. Praise the Lord. He's the temple of the Holy Ghost. And I'm just trying to tell you here that as long as we're in the flesh, that we'll have times of one's God's blessings and times of goodness, but sometimes it's a little short-lived. And if it is, praise the Lord, you walk on with the Lord. Let me just say, two, say something here too, also with you. Two things, two things that God instituted in the world that Satan will always attack. Don't ever forget this. One is the church. One is the church. And in, uh, in Matthew 16, 18, I believe it is, he said, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not. Peter's not the rock, it's Jesus Christ, but he's talking about the relationship of him and Peter together. He says, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church will always survive, and the church will always stand. But Satan will attack the church because God ordained the church. He instituted the, the church. And in some of the epistles, it brings out that the church was ordained of God to be way back from the very beginning. Even before Israel was a nation, 
the Lord said, one day I'm going to have a people out of every kindred, every kindred tongue people and nation in the world. So the church was ordained to be, it was instituted by the Lord. God ordained the church. Let me tell you something else he ordained. He ordained marriage. He ordained marriage. He put Adam and Eve together. Praise the Lord. He took a bone out of rib, his, his side, out of Adam's side, made Eve, so the Bible tells us. And, and when he did that, then when Adam woke up, he gave Adam his wife. And Adam had a wife. Let me just add one thing here. Her name was Eve, not Steve. Okay. I won't, I won't go any further. All right. But, but he, gave, he gave Eve, he gave Adam his wife, and they became one. And he said, you two shall be, you know, one that bind together. And this is the way that God has established marriage. And it's a beautiful thing. And from marriage comes children, and children becomes the next generation, and they grow up. What a beautiful thing that is. And then they do, and they go through the same cycle and so forth. It's God's plan for us on this earth. But because marriage is ordained of God and established by God, Satan attacks marriage. He will attack the home. He will attack the church because it's ordained of God, and he will attack marriage. These are two things that Satan will always try to attack. That's why he's always doing all the crazy things, crazy things, to break up a marriage, to break up a home, to break up families, to, to, break, to, to, to shatter your, your life by, by trying to harm your children. I mean, that's Satan's attempt. But what you want to keep doing is saying, Lord, I'm going to keep on praising you. And I'm going to keep on fighting for the church. I'm going to keep on fighting for my family. Every woman, you need to fight for your family. And you need to understand, it's not, he's not all that bad as Satan is all that bad. Every man needs to know she's not all that. He's talking about, I'm talking about your wife when you think she's really bad, you know, mean or whatever you want to say. You know, he's not all that bad. It's Satan that's bad. He's trying to break up your home. He's trying to break up your marriage. And you say, no, it's not going to happen. Praise God. And there's scriptures to give us how to live and how to walk and how to conduct ourselves. The seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians tells us all about marriage and how it should be handled and how it should be done and so forth. And I tell you all those things so that you understand here that we're fighting these battles Praise the Lord. And God has said, that's okay. I've established that. And we know what Satan is trying to do. But in knowing what Satan is trying to do, we say, no, sir, I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to fight for my home. I'm going to fight for my children. And I'm going to fight for the church and the kingdom of God. And whatever I'm not supposed, whatever Satan would tempt me to tell me that I should do this way, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And you know what it is. You see, Satan can't touch us. He can't touch. You know why? Because we are the chosen of God. That's why Baal, Balaam tried to curse the children of Israel in the wilderness. He couldn't. He tried to. He couldn't curse the children of Israel. He couldn't put a curse on them because they were blessed of God, whom God has blessed no man can curse. The Bible says it. And Balaam finally gave up and said, I can't curse them. But I can tell you how that the curse can come on them. This is what you do. And so he taught Balak, who was a, that false king, how to take those Moabitish and those Midianitish women and, make them, and, and send them out as harlots among those Jewish men 
And that way they'd break up the home and break up the family. And then the things about God will always judge and deal with sin. And then therefore, then God's judgments will come upon them. But I can't do it. It can't happen because they are blessed. You are blessed of God, every one of us. As long as you walk with God and you serve the Lord and you're faithful to God, the enemy can't touch you. But he'll try to send temptations our way. He'll try to keep you from going to church. He'll try to keep you from going to the house of God. He'll try to make you angry when you do go to the house of God. I've seen it happen more than once. A man and wife get mad about each other. They get all crossed up and they go to church, both of them. She's sitting there like that and he's sitting there like that in church. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Worship's going on. People's praising God, glorifying the Lord. And they're sitting there like this. They're sitting like that. You know, because they're mad at each other. And it's a time to worship and it's a time to praise the Lord. And if Satan can keep them in that mode when church is all over with, they miss their opportunity to worship and praise because the house of God is a place of worship and praise. That's right. And I'm telling you here today how to handle those things. You just keep praising God anyhow. Praise the Lord. And you keep, listen, wives and husbands, husbands especially, I'm going to tell you. If you and your wife get crossed up, go to her and tell her, say, look, you know, God loves both of us. I love you. You know, what is it? What are you, you want a new dress? Get the new dress. God will help us. <laughs> oh, I, I know I'm not talking about anything nobody knows anything about. But, you know, you want, you want to go fishing, your husband, wife says, all right, go ahead, it's all right, go ahead, go fishing. I'm just trying to say here, man, and let me just say this to all of our men, for what it's worth, women have to talk. They have to talk. They got to talk. You got to give them that chance to talk. Amen. Women have to talk. They, they're programmed differently than, than the men are. Men can go, they go silent for long periods of time. But women, they've got to talk, and they'll talk, and they, they, they just got to chat. They have. It's, it's in them. And that's beautiful. Wouldn't you hate for it not to be that way? Amen. That's how you find out about what's going on in, in everything. You know? <laughs> Somebody said that's why Solomon was so smart. He had, a, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. They told him everything going on in the whole kingdom. He, he's up on, he's abreast on everything. But I'm just saying here that the women have to talk. They've got to give time. Have a time that you and her just sit together. And she's got to let her talk and let her talk about all the things she wants to. Praise the Lord. And you talk too. I mean, you know, everything. But I'm just trying to say here, we've got to have time for all those kind of things. And we've got to make sure, praise the Lord, we don't let the enemy get into our homes, into our families, and among our, with our children, you got to keep the children on the right path, folks. Don't be afraid to say, no, this is the way we do it here. In this house, this is how we do it. This, in this home, we go to church on Sunday. Oh, I don't feel like going to church today, this Sunday. No, this Sunday, we all go to church. Praise the Lord. I remember hearing a story my grandmother told us years ago. They had seven children in their family. My mother was one of them. And she said that, they were going to church on this one Sunday. They were always faithful going, trying to go to the church. They got all dressed. She got Junior. He was the oldest of the boys. Got him all dressed first. And then she'd working on the younger one, getting them all dressed and everything. Well, my grandfather went out to start the car up. Junior had to look up the tailpipe and see what would happen when the car started up. 
and it blew out black soot and smoke just whoop like that. And he come walking in the house and his face was black and his clothes and his tie, little tie on. Everything he had on was all a big mess. And my mother, my grandmother said she sat down and she cried. And she says, this is one Sunday I'm not going to church. And she said, I'll always regret that I didn't just put it all together again and go to church that Sunday. But she says, that one I didn't. So I don't know. Sometimes you may be sick or there may be a reason that you really can't go. But let me just say today, folks, make up in your mind. And you know, company comes. This is, we're in Florida. They'll show up on your doorstep, you know, anytime between January and March, you know that. They'll show up on your doorstep, praise the Lord, and say, hey, we're here. We come down to, to visit you. Yeah, okay. And they'll come in and, and they're not going to be staying with you. They want to spend time with you. And they'll sometimes show up on a Sunday morning, you know, and they want to talk and fellowship. What? You want to go to church? You don't want to f- be with us? I mean, you know, it may not be cousins. It may be uh, mom and dad or, or brother and sister or some close, you know, close relatives. But always say to them, you understand, we go to church on Sunday morning. My mother-in-law and father-in-law used to come down from Massachusetts, uh, you know, in January. And they would travel a lot of times and they'd show up sometime on Sunday. And they said to my wife, we know you go to church on Sunday. So even though we're here, you just go ahead and go to church. And they expected it because they knew we were going to. One of the reasons I was pastor, as I had to be there. (laughs) Praise God. What I'm just trying to say here, folks, that with all of the ups and downs and all the difficulties and all the problems that we've got, you just keep on worshiping God because Easter's coming. And what does that mean, Brother Myers, when you say Easter's coming? It simply means that the big thing, the big picture, the glory forever is coming. And when Easter comes, it's going to be praise and worship the Lord. There won't be no Satans. There won't be no devils. There won't be no temptations. It won't be anything to interfere with you. And when the Lord rose on the third day, they could worship him and praise him forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. And he had a glorified body. You see, you and I are still in the flesh. And Jesus was still in the flesh when he walked up that side of that mountain, down that valley and back up there, going into Jerusalem and all the crowds. He was still in the flesh. And the devil was still attacking him and still attacking the people. And so as long as we're in the flesh, we're going to have our ups and downs. We're going to have our problems. We're going to have our difficulties. But keep fighting the enemy by saying, I'm going to keep praising God. Hallelujah. Anything that tempts you, you go the other way. Go the other way. Don't go that way. You know, I have a message I preached. I think I preached it here for the first time here in the church. I may have mentioned a couple of times. Uh, There are fleas in your Bible. Remember, how many of you remember that? You know, there are fleas in your Bible. And and I'd pick up my Bible, you know. I said, I'm going to talk about fleas in your Bible. And I I do like that, you know. (laughs) And I'm not talking about F-L-E-A's. I'm talking about F-L-E-E's. Flea means run from. Everybody with me now? And then I talked about where the Bible says flea fornication, flea youthful lust, flea idolatry, you know, where the Bible talks about flea. That means run from these things. And so these things that may crop up in your life, don't just say, oh, eh, 
You look like that. Flee from it, the Bible said. Flee, run the other way. I mean, stay away from it. And I'm telling you that because I think God wants us to know how important it is for us to say, I'm going to do it right to the best of my ability, and I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to, men, I'm going to help my wives and my, ch- my wife and my children, sorry, <laughs> to, to do it right. And wives, say to your husband, I'm going to help my husband to be right and my children to be right and stay on the right track and do everything you can to keep the home together and keep going to church and God will honor because God has ordained the church upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and you gotta we gotta stay in the church because the church is what's going to go in the rapture not the building but the people and you gotta be in the body of Christ you gotta be in the church praise the Lord and you want to bring your family with you, all of them, praise the Lord. Your wife, your children, you want to try to work on them and tell them, you know, this is the best way in the world and so forth. And I know that, you know, some of us got unsaved children. I know some of us, you know, have had to go through some difficulties in marriages and things like that. I understand all of that. But I'm just saying here, it's a battle that we fight. But one day, one day we're going to praise God and glorify the Lord. And I'm going to finish up with this. I've got one scripture I want to read to you. I've been reading over in the book of Revelation. I read over here in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11. I've talked from my heart here today. Next week I'm going to talk about Easter. And I said here that today, you know, is, is a temporary glory with Palm Sunday. But Easter's coming. Easter is when Jesus rose from the dead, had a glorified body, never to be ever tempted ever again. And Jesus would be all great in power from then on. So will we. When we finally receive our glorified body, we do not yet know how we shall be. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The Bible says we shall have a glorified body like as unto his glorified body. This is what Revelation chapter 5 verse 11 says. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. This is 511 of Revelation. And many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them were, was... 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Wow, that's a lot of angels and the elders and so forth. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Everything he's to receive it. And every creature which was in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and forever. Praise the Lord. And one of these days we'll praise God and glorify him. Amen. And we'll have the privilege to praise him forever. You'll have the ability to praise him. You'll have the strength to praise him. You'll have a glorified body. Praise the Lord. Won't be no devil's attempt. Hallelujah. Amen. God is going to do it all. But for now, praise the Lord, we just say, Lord, we know Easter's coming. That's the resurrection. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me together and let's just praise God. Let's glorify him. Thank him right now. Jesus, we love your wonderful name. We thank you for truth. We thank you for your blessings, your power. We thank you for this day. We thank you for our service today. We ask you, Jesus, to bless every one of us here this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.